Hi, this is Stuart Weems and welcome to the Investopoly podcast. My goal is to give you simple, easy to understand strategies, insights and tips to help you master the game of building wealth. And in this episode, I'd like to talk about interest rates and property prices. Uh, there's a, a very vocal commentator and fund manager, Chris Joy, who wrote a, an article in the Australian Financial Review last November that said he used the RBA's uh, modelling tool uh, to predict that if there is an increase in interest rates by 1%, uh, that that increase could lead to property prices falling 15 to 25%. Now, we did say in that article back in November that, uh, in fact, he expects property prices to continue to rise uh, throughout 2022 this year, um, and it will take some time for the RBA to increase interest rates by 1%. So they might rise maybe 10%, and then they'll come off 15 to 25%. Uh, either way, it's a pretty significant prediction. Uh, now, there's, there's lots of doomsayers out there when it comes to the property market, uh, that perpetually uh, come out with outlandishly negative predictions, property price predictions. In fact, you know, uh, been in this business for 20 years, I can't tell you how many times I've heard a prediction that the property market is going to crash. Uh, and of course, it never has, which is not to say it never could, of course, but um, the, the uh, I think macroeconomic indicators have never been that compelling to suggest that there's a, a property price crash. Um, now, uh, the reason that this garnished my attention is that Chris Joy is not one of these doomsayers. In fact, I would say that uh, on the whole, I would agree with a lot of his predictions and commentary uh, in respect to markets and so forth. Uh, and he, um, he was actually one of the people uh, in 2020 that, that disagreed with the bank's uh, predictions when COVID hit. Uh, the banks were predicting at that time, if you recall, 20% price drops in the property market. He came out and said, that's rubbish. So he's not a, a perpetually negative person about the property market, which sort of really um, kind of raised my attention. And I wanted to talk through my thesis on why I don't think um, higher interest rates are going to lead to lower property prices. Now, I guess this is a good juncture to also highlight that um, whilst it might seem to some people, or it may seem to some people, that I'm always a property optimist, uh, I certainly don't have to uh, adopt that uh, viewpoint. You know, as a completely independent advisor, um, my clients invest in property, they invest in shares, they invest in commercial properties, they invest in bonds, lots of different asset classes, uh, and I'm completely agnostic amongst all of them. They all have their pros and cons, they all have their risks and opportunities. So whilst it might seem that um, I'm always relatively optimistic about the property market, um, I would describe my viewpoint as realistic rather than optimistic. Uh, and whilst there's certainly things that can occur that will, could create a property market crash, uh, we have not yet seen them, or at least I have not yet seen those indicators over the last uh, 20 years. And supply and demand is a big one, right? And that's the big thing that went wrong in the US during the GFC. Uh, some it's almost 15 years ago now, uh, they, they were in oversupply. You know, they had empty houses, and of course, in that situation, uh, a market's ripe for a crash. So I just wanted to throw that out there to just to, you know, in case that was in the back of people's minds that I'm always pos uh, positive about the property market. Um, I'm uh, quite open to obviously being uh, wrong, 
Um, I will never say never. You know, property market could crash, uh, but really we need to see uh, some macroeconomic indicators at some points that are going to um, uh, support that support that uh, outlook. Okay, so let's talk about interest rates in the interest rate outlook in Australia. You know, the RBA has been persistent in reminding us that it will not raise the cash rate until it believes inflation is sustainably, and I underline that word, sustainably, within its 2 to 3% band. And the RBA has said for that to be the case, for there to be sustainable inflation, the wage inflation rate has to be between 3 to 4% sustainably, between 3 and 4%. Um, because price inflation really can't uh, remain sustainably high unless wages are rising. Unless we can all afford to pay higher prices, higher prices won't persist. Uh, last week, the wage inflation rate came in at 2.3%. So we're certainly some way off the RBA's uh, target band. And if we look at price inflation, uh, some of it has been contributed because of covid uh, either because of lockdowns, restrictions and those sorts of things, or unusual spending patterns. To what extent, no one really knows and time will tell. But certainly I think uh, most people are going to agree that it's it's had some level of contribution. So despite the RBA's really clear, and I find this really interesting, despite their really clear indications that we're not raising rates, these are the things we're looking at, the market has stubbornly predicted that interest rates will rise quickly over the course of this year. And in fact, if you have a look at the um, uh, forward cash rate, uh, it's uh, the market's predicting seven to eight increases over the next 16 months. Now, I don't know about you, but to me that seems ridiculously ambitious uh, or, or stupid. And let's not forget, the market can be wrong in the short run. Uh, the market can be uh, very wrong, and I think in this instance they are. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next six to twelve months. But you know, when, when this the, these events occur, I just wonder what's going on because you think, well, the RBA is in complete control of interest rates. So you've got one institution that's in total control of interest rates. They're telling the market exactly what they're going to do. And the market's like just blind to it, saying, well, forget about it. I don't believe you. This is what I think is going to happen. It's really incredible. I mean, it's a little bit like your child saying, no, no, they're going to go to the party this weekend when they're grounded. Well, okay, I don't really care what you think. Uh, as a child, I'm the parent. I'm in charge. You're not going to the party. Uh, anyway, it's what's happening in the market. As I said, markets can be really wrong. Uh, now, it, what's happening in Australia is distinctly different to what's happening in the US, by the way. Uh, firstly, the US inflation rate is much higher. Uh, it's 7.5%. Uh, and its higher inflation is actually underpinned by higher wage inflation. So wage inflation in the US is 4.5%, which is a 40-year high. So here you've got high inflation, higher wages. Uh, so therefore, it can persist. And the problem with the US compared to other developed markets is that the employment participation rate hasn't bounced back from that initial COVID hit. So the participation rate is the number of people that are actively looking for work. Because if you're not looking for work, you can't be really counted as unemployed because you're not looking for a job in the first place. Well, what happened is uh, COVID hit in early 2020. Um, a lot of people decided, I don't want to go to work. It's too risky. Uh, and those people have not yet decided to sort of come back to work. Um, and the higher death rate per capita in the US, and it really does stick out, the US does, uh, might be to blame for that. But who knows? That's their problem. They need to get 
that workforce back engaged uh, in the economy. Anyway, as a result, uh, the Federal Reserve in the US is likely to increase interest rates by around about 1% this year, uh, whereas if you listen to the RBA as opposed to the markets, uh, we, we're probably not going to see any rate increases, at least until uh, they're totally convinced that wage inflation has turned around. I can't see that changing uh, very quickly, uh, or at least in time for a, a rate increase this year. Okay, putting that aside, that short-term prediction aside then, um, I think it's reasonable to make an assumption that interest rates will rise from here at some point. Uh, When they will happen and what will the trigger uh, event be, uh, no one can really know. But of course, you know, they're going to trend higher. They're certainly not going to trend lower, uh, that's for sure. So um, the thesis behind uh, the modelling, the RBA's modelling and, and Chris Joy's prediction is that higher interest rates lead to lower asset prices. Uh, and which is, um, from uh, economic and financial theory, 100% correct. And the reason why higher rates lead to lower asset prices, so lower property prices, lower share prices, is that because it becomes more expensive to borrow money, people are more careful with their allocation of that scarce resource, that is money, uh, and they'll demand a higher return uh, in order to pay for that higher cost of borrowing. Um, and therefore, if 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 an asset has to deliver a higher return, then assets that are delivering lower returns are now worth less to me than what they were worth when interest rates were really low. So for those that um, that have a decent knowledge of, of uh, financial theory, uh, I'm really talking about the discount rate here where we use a, a discount rate to uh, complete evaluation of a business or company, uh, and that extends, or in their mind, extends to property. The second reason is that as interest rates rise, lower risk investments become more attractive. You know, there's a whole bunch of investors out there that really have a low risk appetite um, and they would prefer to put their money in term deposits or at least a portion of their money in term deposits. Now, of course, over the last few years, that has been um, a lot less attractive because you're getting virtually you know, less than 1% in terms of interest rates. And therefore, that's forced some investors to start allocating capital elsewhere and forced to sort of take a higher risk appetite. Well, when interest rates are, say, 5 6 7%, um, that's a pretty attractive option for a lot of, particularly retirees, large, large institutions, any sort of entity that doesn't want to take too much uh, risk. So the, that's the economic theory or the financial theory behind interest rates and asset prices. Now that we have acknowledged the economic theory, I think it's good to ask ourselves, okay, how does that then relate to residential property in Australia? And there's two observations that I'd like to share with you to help uh, do that. And then we're going to talk about, you know, what is the historic um, linkage or relationship between interest rates and property prices? So the first observation is that um, really owner-occupiers have driven the property market or prices higher in recent times, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months. Now, if it had been investors that had driven property prices higher, well, investors are a little bit more discretionary. You don't have to invest. Uh, and investor sentiment can get out of control. Uh, so that would um, raise some alarm bells that that price correction could come through. Whereas owner-occupiers are different animals. They're buying for different reasons. Um, and And really, they're not doing a sort of financial analysis other than looking at their affordability. 
And I've reproduced the uh, a chart that shows the amount of um, loans that have been taken out over the last sort of 12 months. Actually, it, it goes back to 03 to, to give you a bit of a history around it. But essentially, since May 2020, which is really a few months after COVID hit, um, uh, Australians have been borrowing about an extra $10 billion a month uh, to uh, buy own occupied property. Uh, now, investor lending has increased too, but that didn't increase until mid last year, mid 2021. And that's increased in, since mid 2021 has increased by about $5 billion. Now, it was coming off a pretty low base, but essentially um, it didn't start increasing until mid last year. Now, by the time we got to mid last year, we've already experienced a lot of these property price increases. You know, prices really started to increase late 20. And early 2021, they certainly did increase in the second half of last year, but, but most of the price increases have already come through. So therefore, when you look at those statistics, and again, all, all these charts are in the show notes and um, blog on the website, but when we look at these statistics, you can um, easily conclude that the price increases, let's call it 20%, that you know, property prices increased 20% last year, were um, mostly driven by owner-occupiers, not investors. And as I said, when owner-occupiers consider buying a home, whether it's an upgrade, a first home, whatever it might be, um, they don't really sit there and think, well, what is the property worth considering where we are in the interest rate cycle? It's not a valuation assessment per se. It's more of an affordability assessment. They know that they're going to own the asset for 5, 10, 15, 20 years, could be even longer. Uh, they know that in the, over the long run, prices trend higher. Um, so, you know, whether they're not, it's not a short-term uh, decision. And then really it's a question of can I afford it today and can I afford it tomorrow? You know, they factor in higher interest rates. Yes, definitely. Uh, they factor in their starting interest rate, fixed interest rates, those sorts of things. But it's an affordability assessment that they undertake rather than a valuation assessment. And this is where I think we're getting a little off track because we're sort of saying, well, here's the theory. This is why property should be worth less. But really, if I'm looking at upgrading and moving into an area in a good school zone because I've got kids that are about to enter into secondary school uh, and I know I'm going to be there for 20 years, my entry price is not as important as can I afford it? Is it doable? And does it fit my lifestyle requirements? And if it does, off we go. Uh, no, full well knowing and acknowledging that interest rates will rise in the future and I've factored in that uh, into my assessment in terms of whether I can afford it from a cash flow perspective. So that's my first observation. That the market has really been driven by own occupiers and they don't really care too much about financial theory. My second observation is that the demand over the last few months, uh, last 18 months say, uh, has been driven mainly by higher income earners. Um, and so it's been very well documented by the RBA and other uh, sectors of the market that the uh, 40%, the, the lowest 40% of households by income um, have uh, worn the, the lion's share of the impact of COVID. And conversely, the highest 40% of households in Australia by income are in a stronger or, or the same or stronger position compared to the start of COVID. And the reason for that mainly is because um, uh, th those higher income earners typically can continue to work from home. 
uh, whereas lower income earners don't necessarily have that flexibility. So, you know, if you're a labourer, if you're a cleaner or something like that, you know, you obviously you can't you can't work from home, and if there's a lockdown, uh, you're out of work. Uh, in fact, NAB Economics estimates that Australians have saved around about $240 billion during the pandemic. So we've seen that through a significant uplift in savings in offset accounts and so forth. Uh, and these savings would have been generated mostly by the top income earners, you know, the, the highest, say, 20% of income earners uh, as probably attributed mostly to those savings because most Australians... Uh, statistics show have relatively low savings. It's really those higher income earners that are in a in a good position. So it's my thesis then that higher income earners have been disproportionately responsible for driving property prices higher, um, uh, which is what I expected. I wrote a blog back in October 2020 uh, stating that's going to be the case, um, and that they are in actually these higher income earners are actually in a really good position to weather higher interest rates. Uh, because their financial position is stronger uh, as a result of lower interest rates over the more recent period and a higher savings rate uh, thanks to lockdowns. Now, as an evidence-based advisor, um, as I keep banging on about in this podcast, let's always look for the evidence. So if someone's telling us that higher interest rates are going to lead to uh, lower property prices, which isn't, you know, doesn't seem completely illogical. Let's look for the evidence. Is there a strong relationship between interest rates and um, and property prices? Now, for the reason I just outlined, I don't think owner occupiers really think like that. I think owner occupier purchases are th- make an affordability assessment rather than a value assessment. Um, but let's see what the data shows. And so what I've got in the blog on the website, and again, the link in the show notes, is there's a chart where I've charted the median house price uh, since 1980 uh, in Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. Uh, And then uh, this is a chart that I I updated last year where it shows that, you know, those markets have moved in cycles. Uh, So there's very distinct growth cycles and then cycles of uh, you know, uh, below average growth, you know, one or two or three percent for a period of time. Uh, and then what I've done is looked at the um, average standard variable interest rate over the same period of those periods of time. Uh, and then so if there's a really strong relationship between interest rates and growth, what we should see is that um, interest rates are very low during high periods of growth and very high or much higher uh, then periods uh, through no growth. And look, I encourage you to have a look at the chart. Some of these charts are difficult to sort of explain, I guess, uh, over a, a, an audio podcast. Um, but but suffice to say, there is a very, very weak relationship with interest rates uh, and growth. Now, I think that there, there'd be a greater relationship between interest rates and growth for investors uh, because investors uh, are more interested in you know, the cost of borrowing and those sorts of things. Uh, but, you know, owner-occupiers tend to dominate the market in terms of the number of transactions and therefore will dominate the statistics. So I am not surprised to see uh, there not being a relationship. And it's really a case of um, trying to take economic theory and apply it to a market that uh, isn't really driven by economic theory because you've got owner-occupiers out there. Now, what do I think will happen? Um you know, interest rates will rise at some point, whether that's this year or next. Uh, not really sure. There are a few important observations, I think, to share. Firstly, 
Um, uh, fear of missing out, FOMO, has really driven or really did drive the market last year. You know, it was really a backdrop of interest rates are going to be lower for longer. Property prices are going to go nuts. We better get into the market today. Uh, there's really not a, a lot around in terms of supply, and that's really changed as well. Uh, so uh, that's changed this year. So the market, as the market's kicked off, particularly in Melbourne and and Sydney, there's a greater supply, so there's more available uh, properties for sale, and the FOMO is no longer there. You know, I think there's a better balance between buyers and sellers. The other difference to last year is the work from home trend. Uh, I think that's dissipated uh, quite a bit. Uh, anyone that was contemplating making that kind of work-from-home relocation move uh, has probably already done it, uh, so that's kind of normalised. And the other thing was last year that, you know, people were locked down, they couldn't spend money on travel, so they had a lot more money in the bank, more financial resources, more cash flow, and they made the decision to direct, or some people made that decision direct into the property market through participating in a transaction, you know, a buy-or-sell transaction, Obviously, with international borders now reopened, uh, travel now on the cards to some extent, uh, I think maybe spending patterns will will normalise. Uh, FOMO's come out of the market. Talk of higher interest rates probably cools a little bit of that appetite as well. And then higher stock levels uh, in the property market um, uh, provide a more balanced market between uh, buyers and sellers, which it certainly is this year. But from my perspective, the value proposition really hasn't changed all that much. Uh, that is, if we thought you know, property looked like a good opportunity to build wealth uh, back in 2020 or 2021, you know, I still think that holds true today. Um, if you think about it, you look at current interest rates, we might get excited about a 1% increase. But really, if you look at historically, compared to the last two or three, four decades, uh, interest rates will still be uh, relatively low. And because of much higher household and government indebtedness, uh, interest rates can't rise, uh, really just cannot rise back to levels that we might have seen, say, pre-GFC, okay, which is some 15 years ago now, but still. Um, uh, and in fact, there's some uh, talk around what is the neutral interest rate. Uh, and the neutral interest rate could be around sort of 5% in terms of mortgage interest rate. Uh, so that's where it's neither expansionary or contractionary. Uh, which means that maybe then interest rates over the near term uh, might not ever exceed 6% uh, or at, ne- at least not for a uh, considerable period of time. And so if we think that interest rate outlook has changed, uh, well then it still holds true that I think the property market then for those reasons still represents pretty good value, particularly to investors, because that holding cost is lower and the risk of uh, higher holding costs is also lower than what it has been uh, over recent decades. Now, what went on last year, I mean, you, you would have read in the papers like everyone, you know, property sells for $800,000 more than the reserve, etc., etc. So we did see some pretty outlandish results last year. People were definitely overpaying. Now, we can sit here and go, theoretically, the value of a property is what someone's prepared to pay for it, and theoretically, that's correct. But of course, we all know some people do overpay and have overpaid for property, uh, so if they've bought something for more than its intrinsic value, it's quite possible over the next one to two years they're going to be in a negative equity position. That is that their property is going to be worth less than what they paid for it, um, which is always going to be the case when you overpay for any asset, of course, whether it's a share or a property or so forth. 
So we might see some stories where, you know, a person needs to sell their property that they bought in 2020 and they sell at a loss and uh, that's good evidence that property prices have fallen. Uh, well, I would uh, have a healthy level of scepticism there and say, well, you know, anyone that overpays for a property and then sells it within a very short space of time is almost always going to make a loss. Uh, that isn't really the market's fault or a change in the market that was a, a decision pattern or a decision made at the beginning uh, when they chose to overpay for that asset. So what do I think is going to happen to property prices when interest rates do increase? Well, I think it's conceivable, and if you have a look back in history to see how property markets have behaved, I think it's conceivable that when interest rates do start rising um, at a relatively fast pace, that we might see a couple of quarters of uh, negative growth. You know, maybe it's it's going to be immaterial, though, probably 1% or 2% for a couple of quarters, and then it will just rebound, move sideways, do nothing for a while. Uh, I think that's conceivable. I, I think it's it's inconceivable to me that prices will correct by uh, 15 to 25 percent. Uh, they've really uh, there's only maybe in the 1800s uh, they might have done that in Australia, um, but really not since then. Uh, and I don't think we're going to start that trend now. I still think the property market um, is still driven by really sound fundamentals over the medium term. So that is interest rates remaining below the average compared to the past 20 or 30 years. Uh, low unemployment, persistently low unemployment, I think. And population growth uh, when there is a return to overseas immigration, skilled migrants, students and so forth. Those three sound fundamental long-term property price drivers, I think, suggest that quality assets, underline the word quality assets, will continue to perform well uh, in the medium to long term. Okay, a bit of a longer one this week, so I do apologise uh, for going a little bit over time. Uh, as I said, there's a whole bunch of charts and so forth in the uh, the show notes and uh, the blog on the website, so feel free to check them out. Uh, and until next week, bye for now.